Hi, welcome to NDE TV. I'm Peggy Robinson. Today's guest is Pastor Nige. Hi. Hello, how are you? Good. Thank you for coming on yeah. and you're going to share your near-death experience with us. Absolutely. Okay. Um, let me start off by saying my near-death experience started while I was attending seminary. Um, I attended seminary late in life, so we're looking at uh, 20 years ago. And I was suffering from heartburn when I walked to and from in the campus. And I went into the hospital and they did all kinds of tests. And they said, oh, um, you need to have a stint. We went from a stint to heart surgery. And in the middle of the heart surgery, there was a situation where basically a three and a half hour surgery took almost 10 hours. And nobody wanted to really expand on what happened in the 10 hours, you know, just, just sign here and we're going to release you. And, you know, when I confronted the doctors, I was told uh, to seek psychiatric help. I must be seeing angels. I didn't say anything about angels. You know, I never mentioned angels. So why, why did the doctor tell me I was seeing angels? Long story short, um, four years ago, I had another uh, surgery. And from here on in, I have been suffering from, I shouldn't say suffer, it's a gift. I have been gifted nightmares, night dreams, and times when I can literally see things that I know are not there, but I can see them in my mind. I hear the voice and I hear the situation and what was going on. And so I started writing all this down. You know, you start keeping a pad beside the bed and you write these notes out. And before I knew it, I was seeing a trend. Um, I remember the getting off the bed, the surgical the table. And I remember seeing the, uh, I must explain this. I'm seeing colors and situations that are hard, so hard to describe. It is, imagine trying to explain the color red or blue to a person that has never had sight in their life. This is what my, my near-death experience was like. It's hard to describe the, the passion, the joy, the absolute acceptance I'm getting before I need to get the cart back behind the horse. I felt like I had woken up. I, I started to see a bright light in my face. I thought, my God, I've woken up. I could hear voices going on around me. And I'm thinking, they must still be doing the procedure because I could hear the chinking of instruments in a tray. So I wiggled my fingers and nothing happened. 
So I thought, okay, I sat up. I put my legs over the side of the surgical table and I climbed off the table. Now, my question is, if you're under anesthesia, how can you do that? Well, my body was back on the table. This clay frame, uh, that, that was still laying there. I got up and I walked. I shouldn't say walk. I floated out of the surgical suite. I walked past people and I was looking at, looking at each other and talking and they were having their own discussion groups and I walked past. I mean, when they do this open heart surgery, they shave your chest. You don't wear a shirt in surgery. So as far as I knew, I was as a jaybird. So my tunnel experience was at the end of the wall. Uh, I can describe it as a, almost like a baby's umbilical cord, but instead of being straight, it was looped upon itself and it kept going up and I just had this small opening. And I walked into this tunnel thinking, hey, you know, I know, I know where I'm going. I know what this is and I know I've been here before, but I don't know how, don't know when, but I knew where I was going. Now the inside of the, inside of the, this tunnel, it's almost like cumulus clouds, puffy, and it moves backwards and forwards upon itself. It's pink, just the lightest shade of pink and the lightest shade of blue, it would be pink. And then the edge of the curve would be blue. And then it would go pink again and it would go blue. And it just keeps drifting backwards and forwards. It's a beauty. It's just like, wow, this is beautiful. And in, in the walls of this tunnel, I could see like little, little uh, star lights. That's all I could describe. Brilliant lights of different colors, but they had spokes coming out of them. And some were going up and some were going down. The ones going down would, would collide with each other and bounce off each other. And each one of them would then refract into unbelievable amounts of color. And there was just like pinpoints, but you could see every one of them. The ones that were coming, uh, were going up were moving a little slower, more established. And they were not refracting. Only the ones coming down were refract, refracting. And I got to the end of this tunnel eventually. And it took what seemed to be, there's no concept of time. There's absolutely no concept of time. It could have been five, 10 minutes, 20 minutes, half an hour. I had no clue. When I got to the end of the tunnel, it was almost as if I was there and then the tunnel dissolved from around me and most people seem to think that they're going to hear music singing harps heavenly choirs they're going to see volumes amounts of angels and things all i saw was the most beautiful fields trees and if Anybody who's ever heard a 
English uh, robin, thrush, and blackbird singing. It was like that, but it was a it was a wonderful bird song that seemed to be in harmony. As I said before, it, it's it's so very hard to explain this because you do not have the words to explain the beauty, the color, or the description, nor the fragrance. It is far beyond your comprehension as a spirit on this earth as to what you have waiting for you up there. This is its... All I can say is it's indescribable. I've totally undescribable. I was allowed to view my life, preview. Uh, I was brought up, brought up in a very, shall I say, family hostile environment. My father was a police officer. My mother never gave an inch. Uh, he would come home after a hard day dealing with deceased uh, people found in various situations, washed up on the beach. He would be the one that had to take charge of that person. He was the office, police office, uh, front desk person. So he had a rather warped uh, look about life in general. Uh, he'd been through the Second World War. He'd been through quite a lot of carnage. And so he was rather, uh, well, now we would say he probably suffered from very bad PTSD. But of course, we didn't think about that when I was a child. Um, so my home life was rather disruptive at the best of times. And to build up a defense against that i became i was very very sarcastic and so i would if somebody asked me to do something i would respond in a very um aggravated um not very pleasant way i'd be very sarcastic trying to get on with it i wasn't interested in it and of course <sighs> that was revealed to me and i can tell you one thing that i go I go to, to in, into this a little more in, in the book I'm writing. Um, I've got a title for it. It's called uh, Pastor Nigel Goes to Heaven. <laughs> uh, we, um, we discuss this in a little more detail. But my, my attitude, even to when I was uh, preaching in churches, I would have a rather, rather sarcastic bent to my sermon. And this was all brought back to me. And it's, uh, I can tell you now, there is no such thing as a little sin. You know, when we lie, we say, oh, a little white lie. There is no such thing in life and death. There is no such thing in sin and sinning. Every sin is a sin, period. So I stood before mirrors looking at my sins and what I'd done and how I had treated people. And after each period of time when I would see what I was doing and how I was doing, it would fade away. I would ask for forgiveness. Oh, God, 
things. Give me, I didn't realize what I was doing. I didn't realize the pain I was causing. When people come for you to help, yes, you can help. But you have to be careful. Because one, there is no such thing as a little sin. And the other thing I'd reveal in my book is the fact that everything that happens to you, through you, is there for a reason. You don't realize this, but the little hiccups that happen in your life now are there for a reason. And it doesn't matter what happens to you. Eventually, you will be in place on time to reach and meet the Lord and go through your sins and receive salvation for them in God's time, not in yours. I've had 20 years in the medical field, plus I was a paramedic and ICU nursing. I love um, burn intensive care nursing. And all those times when there was a little more stress than you could handle and you'd had to kind of back away and think, okay, what am I gonna do here? Those things are there for a reason. So one, there's no such thing as a small sin. Two, everything that has happened to you, good or bad. And I'm talk talking about personalities too. If you've got somebody that's agitating and argumentative and mean and nasty and angry at you, they are there for a reason and you are to learn and find out what it is that you're supposed to learn from that person. And sometimes it's just the fact of how to deal with that person. Because this place, this earth, is, is more or less a, a primary or middle school for heaven. Now that sounds, you know, okay, kind of blasé. You think of yourself as the middle schooler or the smaller child. But in this case, you have adult responsibilities. You have adult abilities. And you have to learn love, forgiveness, and how you're going to exhibit this to the person that is unable to give love or forgiveness or is unable to show how they can work with you. And once again, I come back to the fact, it is hard to describe the passion, the love and the forgiveness you get when you go into this, out of this near-death experience. But there is a time for everything and everything is in its place. And it doesn't matter, you know, you, you hear sometimes, Oh, we had his, something happened and, you know, we had to go in and fix this and repair the surgery. And he was this far from being dead or we saved his life. He was able to, you know, we jumped in and we saved his life. It doesn't matter what you do. You cannot extend life. When you are due to die, and go to see the Lord, you will die. All these uh, preempted ideas of 
oh, I've, my life has been saved so many times. Your concept of your life has changed so many times. But the actual exist, existence you're living here is to learn love, grace, and understanding. And when you have completed, you are going to go on. It's not a matter of, well, we've, we've given you another five years of life, have you? Or were those five years of life just there and made a, a talking point by the physician or the doctors? This is not an easy thing to explain. No, I, I, I've been in, in this book, this is one of the hardest things I, I'm trying to get a full grip on so that people can understand. It's, it's, as I said before, it's hard to explain to somebody who's never seen the color blue before, what blue looks like. And so it is with this, this book. So were these um, things kind of like downloaded to you, like a knowing, or how did you come? Was, I'm glad you brought that up. It's, it's almost like, now you, you remember, the, you hear that little voice in the back of your head, you really shouldn't do this, and you go ahead and do it anyway. It, it's that same voice, but it's a lot stronger, and it's a lot um, more, it's a lot more grammar <laughs> the voice is very to the point you will do this you won't do this this is not what you're meant for this is how it should be you're going back now i heard that voice it is it is transmitted through you and to you from another source um I had a, after I had seen my, my sins, I could see a light off on my left-hand side coming towards me. And I thought, hmm, light, okay, this is amazing. You know, what, what is this coming? And this light came behind me and was shining through me. And again the refraction it was shining through me and would hit flowers or the trees or even the grass and the grass would be lit up to the point where you it was you know when you have a candle in a very dark room you see the flame and then there's this aura around yeah the flame it's a golden color this this is the color that everything refracts back to you from the inside. It's like looking at a blade of grass that is now gold. And then this light is shining from it. And each blade of grass is like this. Each tree limb is like this. Each of the flowers and the bushes is just like this. It, it's like it's reflecting back the aura that surrounds you and goes through you. So um, I had just finished watching my lives, as I said before. Mm -hmm. And I felt a little nudge. And I felt hands 
lay on my shoulders. And I'm kind of a tall person. I'm six three, six four. And this was, I felt like it wasn't reaching up. It was reaching level, at my level. So it's, whatever it was, was fairly tall. And I thought, well, okay, maybe I'm going to turn around and take, who, who got a hold of me? I was locked solid. I was unable to move. I was unable to turn. And if I could, what I'd like to do is the only way I can just describe it. I've got this written down. If I could, would you mind if I read it from? Sure. Okay. Ah. Okay. And this is, this is where the book comes in. This is some of the writings. And this is after a long time. So sometimes the best thing you can do is not think, wonder, or imagine. Just breathe and have faith that everything will work out for the best. This was one of those times I was embraced with a flush of such acceptance, forgiveness, and love such warmth and security. I had never experienced such loving acceptance before. After every early life flash where I had caused another such pain through my simple nature, I had been brought to uncontrollable tears even today. Uh, when I dwell on the memory, I am returned to those same tears. There was a rustling, a quiet movement of repositioning behind me. Then that voice of warmth, acceptance, and now quietly reproached me. My child, have I now got your attention? The presence had to be just a little taller than me, but his telepathic voice came from a slightly higher and towards the right of my center. I cannot say the voice came from Jesus or God. I was not allowed to see the origin of the voice. I could not move to see who it was that knew me so well. My body had become locked, unable to turn to look at the persona of that voice. The golden light was streaming through me, now even more precise and defined. Really? You know better than that. Be still, the voice repeated. Did I know almost a lightness, almost like a little sarcasm to the comment? As if the comment had been said with a smile? I listened and I looked again at my past experiences and my sinful nature came full view before me again. As I asked for forgiveness, my sins would fade and dissolve. I continued to drift from scene to scene. I no longer desired to be in control. I watched anxiously as the scenes of my life repeated over and over. The same sin repeated time and time again. It was very obvious I had a propensity for verbal eradicating of other self-confidence through the destructive sarcasm was now my means of communication. At this time, there was an understanding given to me that, that I had a particular mission as I had witnessed with the other lies I'd been shown. 
due to circumstances that had been initiated, they had caused their own premature death. A thought rushed through my mind. Am I here to stay this time? Before I could realize I had thought the question, I was answered. The answer was no. The time has still not come. You still have work to complete. Your direction is being corrected. You have to return. So what was I supposed to do now and how? I had nothing. My soul had not accomplished anything. I could not fathom the depth of what I was supposed to achieve for the glory of God. Then the voice continued. Yes, as you have been shown, we have gone through this before. But this time you must return to where you were removed from. You cannot stay and you cannot be reborn again. Then the realization hit. I had been here before, but when, how? That golden brilliance embraced my spirit. I became renewed, strengthened, and energized. Again, he spoke telepathically through my mind. You have a particular mission you have to complete. You cannot complete the task without knowing what has gone before you. You will have to wait. Your time is not now. All will become clear at the time required. You will know in time. I will show you. I will bring this moment to your remembrance in my time, not yours. Only then will you understand. So happy to have had this little talk with you. You are to return now. And with that, I found myself back on that cold surgical table trying to show somebody that I was awake. It's a shame that they said that to you. Like if you're seeing angels, like I say, you never said that, but it's a shame that hospitals don't have some kind of knowledge of near-death experiences and have a counselor on hand that's, you know, can set them up to some resources. Yes, yes. Well, the thing is, you've got, you've got a couple of... Um, you know, uh, when I started writing this out, I decided you, you, you cannot read somebody else's encounter and say, oh, yeah, that happened to me. Or did it or didn't it? You're, you're reading somebody else's NDEs. So I made a point of staying within what I saw, what I heard. And now I look back and you have, was in there, Elizabeth Kubler Ross, and you have a couple of doctors, you have psychiatrists, sociologists that are now collecting data on NDEs. And what is, what is the strongest point is the tunnel, the fact that people said that they were in a corner at the furthest part of their surgical or emergency room procedure or their car accident, and they were looking down. I didn't have that experience. And I think the reason why I, I explain this again in the book a little more thoroughly, you have a one-on-one -on -one relationship with your, with your God, it's your God, not everybody else's, it's one-on-one. It's -on -one. So your experience is gonna be so much different than everybody else's. There's, you know, well, I didn't do that. Well, of course not, but I did. Mm -hmm. And I didn't do that, which you, you had experience of because I, my relationship with my God is very different from your relationship with your God. Mm 
That yeah, is no different relationship than your relationship with your wife is different than her mother's relationship with her exactly. and your child's relationship with her. Exactly. And, and that's one of the big things is you learn from others and you learn from their mistakes. And it's easy to say, oh, I'll, I'll never do that. And then five years down the line, you find you did exactly the same thing. Yeah. You know, it, it's hard to describe how many times I have tried so hard to say, I will never be like my father. And yet the one time we were, my first time, I was able to link with my sister who is still living in Scotland. She said, oh my Lord, your dad. And I said, and your mom. We look so much like that person. And that's that, this is clay. This is the clay that, that God formed, you know. The only difference between, between us and the animals was the fact there is no record in the Bible where he blew air in the whale, the tiger, the lion, the cat, the dog, the monkey, the worm. We are his. We are his creation. But he formed us out of clay, but he blew the spirit within us. The spirit will never die. If we say that when we die, our spirit and our body is buried, then we're saying that God will die or is dead. And he's not. Here we have the opportunity to look within and change ourselves now. Get ourselves, get our spiritual self prepared for what is to come. I mean, it is a guarantee, if you're listening to this, eventually the one thing you're going to do is die. Start now. Get yourself prepared. Get yourself to the point where you can say, I am one with my God. I am his and he is mine. I have this one-on-one -on -one relationship. There's no problem with you talking to him. You know, they, they say, oh, he's out there talking to crazy people again. He's out there out of his mind. I have a mother-in-law staying with me now. God bless her. She's 83. And she will literally be singing hymns and praying while she's out walking. You know where she's going. You don't have that fear. What if mama dies? What if grandpa dies? What if, if you know that that person has already got a one-on-one -on -one relationship? Now, am I to understand correctly that your experience came back in bits? You yes. didn't get the full thing. Yeah. yeah. That's the way it, it was for me after my second one. Right. Mm -hmm. as, as I was told, it will be revealed back to you in my time. And not yours. Um, so I, it started off for me sitting up on the side of the bed going like, wow, that's a, what a dream. That's beautiful. And then my wife turned around and said, well, why don't you start writing these things down? Obviously, there's, there's something here. You're taking a trip, you know, write this stuff down. So I started. Have you heard of your death experience? Sorry? Had you heard of a near-death experience? 
Um, I was in the medical field for, as I said, 20 plus years. Then I turned over and, and went back to seminary and became a minister. In intensive care, we had a gentleman who was literally um, laid out like this in the bed. He was suffering from Guillain-Barre syndrome, which is where the heart eventually is stopped because of the rigor that takes over the body. I have a daughter-in-law that has that. <clears throat> ah. Mm -hmm. She was he, six months pregnant. Yeah developed it oh my mm -hmm. baby is born at oh, two no. pounds she's okay now but you still have issues she had the trait yes. she was like vegetable i mean she went through it all yes well this gentleman had a large uh, family in the back uh, it was at a a catholic hospital so the um the priest was with them and i was uh, I said, I'll take care of the strips. You know, they, they run a, a heart strip on you during CPR and through any kind of rescue attempt. They, they want to document what medication was given at what time, at what rhythm, and when the shocks were happened, who did the shocking, and, and so on. So it is, becomes a, a document. Um, this gentleman passed after 45 minutes. We decided, you know, the doctor says, okay, I'm done. We've tried, we've tried everything, we'll stop. Uh, and he said, um, I'm calling the code. And so I said, thank you, got it. And I wrote down the time, code call, doctor so-and-so, nurse so-and-so, nurse so-and-so. But I left the strip, kept on running. And while I did the, the documentation of the strip and, and sorting it out, rolling it up so the doctor could look at it, and all of a sudden, the EKG started bouncing again. Hmm, okay. Heart is being, or the person is being jostled in the room, and, and things are being moved around, and cleaning him up, they're taking the trash out. And then they, they, they started again. I got a few more beeps. And then a couple more. And then all of a sudden, we had 10 in a row. I said, Doc, your, your uh, patient is returning from wherever he went. He's coming back. Turn them on, take, check your monitor. So <laughs> the code was back on again. And it was a different code this time. It was a supportive code instead of a, an aggressive code, if you understand that. Aggressive, you're doing the CPR, you're doing the respirations, and everything is going on at once. With a supportive code, it's a medical code. It's, it's shooting some chemicals through an IV line, um, making sure the oxygen is turned up. Uh, eventually, the, I think it was after three days, the patient uh, left ICU. And my last day I was there, I waved at him and I went like that. And he went like this. He couldn't really talk that well. I mean, he had an oxygen mask on. But just that, that, that to me showed me that, that something had, had happened. So... 
I understood that and I talked to a psychiatrist about it that was visiting the intensive care and he said, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. There's a lot of uh, research going on in that, he said, but um, well, you know, you don't know if it's a drug hallucination, it could be this, it could be that, it could be. And so there's this fraction of disbelief and what it could be and acceptance of what it is and what it cannot be. And that is, it cannot be a lie. It cannot, everybody, now that I've been reading um, so many uh, books, articles, and what have you, watching your videos, um, there is a great similarity in almost like a pattern. You do this, you do this, you do this. Some people are given over to see scrolls or books or a library that goes on for miles. Some people uh, have a, a person that they can talk to and see and who guides them. As I said, I felt like I knew where I was going. I had been there before. I didn't need the official guide. Some people do see the angels. Some people say they see the Lord and, and Jesus Christ and this amazing light and this fulfillment. Because once again, as I said before, that is your one-on-one -on -one relationship with your God. And it will never, it will never be changed. Um, there is there's so much. Sorry, go ahead. Did you become a pastor because of your near-death experience? <laughs> um, excuse me a second. I, gotta, uh, I was thinking of those uh, scenes. They bring me to tears. The reason I became a pastor, uh, as I said before, I was uh, brought up, or maybe I didn't, I was brought up uh, in a Church of England school where God was made very plain. We had a religious service every, every morning. Uh, as your first episode of the day, kind of like a wake-up call. And you had religious instruction, so many minutes a day. Sometimes it was 30 minutes. Sometimes it's 45 minutes. And so I was awoken to the awareness of Jesus Christ as my Savior, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. Um, the Bible, Bible readings were very important. And from a very young age, I felt like I was due to be the uh, vicar, the English vicar, the pastor. And the whole idea, uh, what I saw of pastors and, and vicars of, of, in England was the white collar, riding around a on a bicycle from church to church. And, and uh, the fact that they never seemed to have any real joy or happiness. And I just couldn't stand that idea. So at a young age, I, I decided I was not going to be that bike riding, collar wearing vicar. So eventually uh, I emigrated to the United States and I still had that thing in, in mind. I decided, well, uh, what can I do that will stop this thought from going through my head about being a minister, being a pastor, doing something for God, do, becoming a church member? I fought it like, uh, a tooth and nail and I did everything I could not to be the vicar and then one day um, I met my wife 
in a hospital. She was pre-med and I was working in the burn center and we got talking and her father needed uh, her, the car, his car in the garage for like 24 hours where he changed an engine or something. So I said, okay, well, you know, you borrow mine. There's no problem. So I hadn't got a car and I worked, was working the evening shift and I was pacing the hallway, waiting for somebody to come by and pick me up. It was snowing really bad. And as I went past, I saw this pamphlet about becoming a chaplain. And I went, huh, chaplain, yeah, right now. I ain't gonna do that, I ain't <laughs> gonna do that. No way am I gonna do that. And I walked to the other side of the hallway and I just kept on pacing, waiting for the car to come pick me up. Car didn't come, 30 minutes, 40 minutes. And I just kept pacing. Each time I went past, I think, I am not picking up that, come here. And I grabbed that pamphlet, I opened it up, and it just like, wham. Come on, sign it, join it. And I don't, I'm not doing this. Some of these people creeping around, you know, the night shift and what have you, talking to people about death and dying. I'm like, uh-uh, no, I'm not doing that. No, 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 that's, that's crazy. Besides, I can't afford it, you know. I, family and, oh, I'm busy being a nurse. Everything's wonderful with my world. And everything's fine. And next thing I know, I'm signing it. I thought, well, I can't because it means it's five days a week, eight hours a day, clinical on weekends. I can't do that. I don't have time. I can't work part time. Um, a wonderful woman. <laughs> Her name was Sister Rose Carmel McKenna. She was a, a school principal before she became as a nun in a, a Catholic school. And she was doing the pastoral care chaplaincy training program. Although I didn't have the attitude um she had the way and she said i'm giving you i ended up with a full scholarship to his pastoral care training um i thought well you know i'm not going to be able to make it because i don't have any money and i've got to look after my wife and you know money was available uh i was shortlisted and i ended up because of my attitude, because of my sarcastic attitude, I was put on the night shift in the emergency room in intensive care on call. And I would work a 12 hour shift, uh, 7P to 7A. And uh, something happened, I would get a call. If it was a, a member of the Catholic uh, faith, then I would make sure that A, they were Catholic and B, the priest was called and informed so he could come in and issue, do the last rites. Then my wife decided that I should um, attend church with her. 
And uh, it was, uh, in, I was informed that having a church affiliation was really a requirement of the chaplaincy uh, certification. And I said, well, I'm not really going, I don't, I don't think I'm going to become a, a, a chaplain. You know, in real, real life, I probably still. And Sister Rose Carmel kind of says, oh, in fact, you will. Oh, in fact, you will. I don't know, oh, rats. <laughs> <laughs> you know, there was this, I mean, she was the school mom, you know, and she would do this and just look at you. And, decide <laughs> and I knew right then, oh, I'm cooked. I'm done, you know. Uh, I got, a lot of times you only need two quarters. I took all, see, all four, yeah, I remember the, all four quarters of uh, pastoral care training. Um, and I ended up, uh, we went to a National Baptist Church, which is a church where spiritual songs are sung with gusto and joy and choirs. And I talked to the pastor and said, you know, blah, 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 blah. I'm taking pastor. Okay. He said, oh, does that mean you do hospital visitations? I said, yeah, I do that. That's where I work on the weekend. He said, Oh, I need somebody to do that for me. He said, I can't go into a hospital and talk to any of my church members without me boo-hooing and crying and making a fool of myself. And I thought, uh, be quiet, Nigel. Be quiet. Don't say anything. I can do that for you. Where did that come from? <laughs> it's just like, out of nowhere. It's like, I was volunteered for it. It, uh, but it came out of my mouth. So he said, would you? Oh, that'd be so good. I've got a visitation. She sounds so, so, so. Isn't said, that okay. funny how something is meant to be? It's just like floating down a stream and it'll just yes. find a way. It's something that's not it, to, it just, meant to be. You'll happened. hit every brick wall. <laughs> right. You, you, you put walls up mile high and <laughs> somebody comes along and says, oh, we've got a little chink here. We can get to you through there. And I really enjoyed the church interaction. Of course, I would go do these visitations. We had a rather elderly congregation. Uh, he wasn't so young himself. <laughs> and every Friday or Saturday, I, I'd meet up with him. I went to see Brother So-and-so. Um, he wants you to call. Uh, please call before Sunday. He wants prayer. He wants to talk to you. Uh, sister so-and-so, this happened, and she's recovered. She's at home. would like you to call her at home. So the actual initial burden of going, seeing his parishioners in a state of sickness and being feeble and, and not well was lifted from him. For me, it was an extra opportunity for the training. I could then recite these visitations uh, in the class meeting every day. We had a, a period where we related as to what happened to us the week before. We'd have to write out, oh God, two verbatims a week, word for word, what happened, who scratched their ear first, me or the patient. Uh, but the more detail you put into them, the more Sister Rose Carmel would sit there and, mm -hmm, yes. Mm -hmm. And um, 
she was very instrumental, I think, in not only my emergence as a minister, as a pastor, as a chaplain, but also as a as a writer. The more detail you put in, the fact that the IV was wrapped around the pole three times before it hit the patient. That's something she would look for. And I, that's, I thought, okay, sarcastic attitude, sarcastic personality. I would put that stuff in, thinking, yeah, he was gasping and wheezing and kept lifting off his oxygen tube so he could talk to me. But the fact I put that in there, that's what she was looking for. And I ended up, I ended up graduating out of that. I was her, a member of her last class, but she was going to retire. And um, she was, um, she was, just over the moon with the six people she had because we all seemed to accelerate with such speed and such a dexterity in our in our chaplaincy and our, our ministries in fact there's the one occasion but the last occasion i mentioned it earlier uh, with the surgery that triggered all these recurring dreams was the fact that I started off with an initial uh, hemorrhage, internal hemorrhage, and I was bleeding out in the emergency room. And then the doctor said, well, we need to find out where this is. We're gonna send you for X-ray or whatever it was. I mean, out to lunch. I kind of knew where I was doing and what I was supposed to be doing, but you know, you don't want to let the doctor know you're a nurse because then he gets all highfalutin and he starts talking to you in medical lingo and you're like, but I'm not feeling good. I have I, I can see your lips moving, but I can't understand what you're saying. Hang on a minute. Now talk to me like I'm a layman. The they took a picture of the intestines and they found the bleed. And his was a, a last year, oh, by the way, moment. As I was being transferred from the emergency room into the intensive care with units of blood going in, he said, oh, by the way, you need to check your kidney. Um, there's, there seems to be a little growth on it. Oh, okay, you know, and I looked at my wife, and I got you. Off we went to the emergency, you know, from the emergency room up to the unit. And there I bled out some more and with more units of blood. And I basically forgot about the little growth on my kidney. Um, and then out of the blue, uh, I'm, they find that yes, I did have an ulcer and yes, they took care of it and it stopped bleeding. And I, next day or so, I, I was released from the hospital. Um, but my wife didn't forget about the kidney. She told me to go see a kidney doctor and then we ended up with a surgeon and he ran a few tests and he said, um, Mr. Baines, I said, yes, it's me, I'm over here, you know. Um, the tests I've run and the pictures I've taken, what I've done, I would say you have kidney cancer. And I said, kidney cancer. what's your percentage, doctor? He said, 
about 98%, sure. I said, oh, what about the other 2%? <laughs> See, I just couldn't think again of that kidney being that bad. Um, I have a question here. Would you like to see a picture? Sure. Hold on just a second. You know, it's, oh, let me get it. No. The question is, why do you why do you collect things, pictures, and stuff like that? Because down the line, somebody's going to doubt you, and you say, "Guess what? I got a picture." <laughs> <laughs> now, kidneys are normally in a, a normal human being about the size of your fist, and dark, dark brown. You know, and this is mine. That on the bottom there is a foot roll. And it looks like a turkey, doesn't it? Is that cancer? That was my kid. Cancer. As I said, nothing happens without there be a reason for it. When I had that removed and I went home, then the dreams started in my time, not yours. Right. You said something while ago. I asked you a question. You said you was getting ready to tell me about the singing brought you to tears. Was that singing in heaven? No, it was... It was the amount of forgiveness and acceptance and, oh, the love. See, once again, and then. It's. I can only say that it's more love than you would ever feel that you ever deserved. It's the acceptance you've always craved for and wanted. And the amount is endless and boundless. So, <laughs> is your health okay now? My health? Um, I've had a, let's see, I was in my 40s when I had the open heart surgery. I've worn out one defibrillator. I now see a kidney specialist who tells me my one kidney is functioning as if it was two. I'm living 
in the middle of atrial fib and atrial flutter. And I have absolutely no symptoms. I've had several other occurrences like the internal bleed, which uh, I now have had a couple of other minor, which were a couple of minor bleeds, which were transient. They were here, then gone. I went to see the, the doctor and they did a test and they said, no, it's taking care of itself. Uh, we don't know what happened. My cardiologist um, looks at me in amazement. And I don't know if it's because I'm still here or I am still here. <laughs> he's, <laughs> he's, um, <laughs> oh, and you'll turn to my wife and you'll say, get him to behave, will you? <laughs> Slow him down. But, you know, this, like this, this COVID thing, everybody went into hiding. Well, I did too. Like everybody else, uh, we put our masks on and we basically stayed uh, in the house and uh, isolated. If we started getting a cold or a sniffle or a flu, we all thought death, doom, and destruction was at the door. Um, I can say without a doubt that I ha did have COVID uh, the first first two weeks in January when it first came out. Um, I had no taste, no sense of smell. I felt like I had been hit behind the head with the two by four. I was, um, I was right off my food. I didn't want to eat and look at the size of me and tell I enjoy my food. Me too. Um, but, uh, you know, um, here we are back again. The doctor has just taken me off four different medical med medicines, medications, and I feel better for it. Now, I'm not saying that I've had a miraculous cure, but there was a period of time when I was in atrial fib for over 28 days. And in that 28 days, I had painted the outside of my house. <laughs> so <laughs> I'm just swinging away with a paintbrush. How you doing, neighbor? You know, just move your car. I'm going to be painting right over it. You know, it's it's. I don't know. It it's. I think what it has given me that my my near death experience has given me an opening where I can visit somebody in pain and suffering and go. I can really turn around and tell them, it's going to be okay. It's going to be okay. You wait. This is only half the show. You wait till you get through the curtain. You know? And they say, oh, what's it like to die? Well, it's easy. Thousands of people do it every hour. You know, it's what we were born for. It's a natural progression. You won't have pain. You won't have suffering. You will feel uplifted. You will feel enlightened and brightened and strengthened. And you will have everything you should have. You will have your, if, you're, if you've lost your eyes, you will see. If you've lost a limb, you will, it will return. 
you will be whole again. What do you think about those lights you saw, the ones that's going up and then the ones that's going down? Do you think that could have been mm -hmm. souls? You know, I have, <laughs> I have been given clarification on that and that you've got it right. There's the young souls are smaller. They're, as I said, pinpoint, and they will literally hit each other and they will go off. But when they hit each other, they refract into other colored lights. It's almost like I am here, bang, and this is my future family. Well, if this person and that person, they, they can't, if these are souls, they're literally bouncing off a of front. When, when children play in a playground, they run around in ever decreasing circles, you know, and they sometimes they hit each other and, you know, bounce off each other or play tag. It was like that. But the souls that were coming down were more formed as if, I, I hate, to, I don't want to say looking like little people because you couldn't see them that well. But there was a definite, I don't want to say aging either. There was a definite maturing of that same light from this coming down and hitting each other and responding and bouncing with it. And I want to say when they bounce and when they hit each other, I don't mean this, I mean in a playful manner. So you had this joy and happiness coming down to be born. And then you had this love and acceptance for returning from where you were before. You know, when we, we say, when, you, when we say that, you know, when you die, you will rise again. Well, the gray, the, 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 the clay frame, when you look at the Bible, the clay frame is a clay frame. It will revert back to the dust and the dirt. The energy that is inside, the spirit that dwells within you is what that lives on and on and on and on and will return to its creator, your creator. Uh, uh, it's, uh, <laughs> I have a, you know, I, 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 I talked to a couple of people regarding my book. And Zondervan, they're, they're going to be calling me this afternoon to talk to me about it. Um, they're interested. And they say, well, what, what are you calling it? Uh, <laughs> okay, you're ready for the sarcasm. Passage goes to heaven. <laughs> you know. yeah, now, is and, your book uh, finished? You're just looking for a publisher? I have. Oh, my God. Um, the publishers are there, but I haven't finished. There appears okay. a time, um, the last, the last three nights, see, three nights. <laughs> that's why, I, that's why I for payroll, $3. Um, the last three nights I have gotten up at two and three in the morning and sat in front of my computer and said, I need to, you know, I need to put this in. This is important. This is missing. I need to correct this, you know? Um, and so 
the framework has been there. I'm now at 53,000 words. And um, I'm getting to a point where I feel rested and I feel more relaxed as if this work is almost completed. Uh, but each time I read it, I go, no, I got to tweak that just a little bit. That isn't what was said. This How long have you been working said. on it? I would say almost a year. I would, well, no, I would say a year. Because there was a year I was in total disbelief. Well, this isn't happening to, to me. I, you know, um, well, why are you waking up at three or four in the morning? You know, why are you getting up out of bed and... Why are you sitting on the couch writing things in a notebook? Um, well, the reason is because uh, I've been told I have to. You know, when you when you say or when you say um, you you talk to God, people accept that. But, but the minute you say that God is talking to you and He has a message for you, then you're crazy. You know, there's something wrong with you. You need to be medicated. Um, but unless you have experienced it yourself, it's it's hard to describe. It's, I think it's once those... we've been there and we heard, whether it was telepathic yes. or voice outside of us, when we come back, that hearing is so much easier to happen. And it's clear as bells. It's like, wake up. Come on. We've got some things to do. And it's like, okay. Okay, what are we doing today? You know, uh, before it was no, no, I'm you know, uh, hu the human race is stubborn, yeah, it doesn't want to do what it needs to do. Denial, you know, huge denial, denial, denial. You didn't do this, you didn't have this. You need to see a psychiatrist. You know, I found out the doctor that did the surgery on me when he was he, um recommended I went to uh, talk to a psychiatrist about my angels. I called the number and it's a suicide prevention number. Oh, great. <laughs> Gee, that's yes. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, you know, but that's, it's, it's like, of course, because God is not finished with me yet. So, you know, and now that this, um, we're looking at breaking out of our cocoons, we are feeling we can breathe the air again now without taking in some germ that may kill us or whatever, that we seem to be getting the, the, herd humid, uh, the herd attitude. I look at, as Simon says, Simon says, be scared to death. Simon says, don't yeah. go outside. Simon says, now you can go outside. But now Simon says, it's over, have fun. <laughs> yeah. So now we're, we're starting to look around and um, I'm looking at, uh, I, I've approached a couple of pastors and they said, oh, well, you know, we, we, the, there's, there's nothing in the Bible about reincarnation. Well, in, in the year 500 and some, we had a declaration where all comments regarding the uh, 
the act of reincarnation was removed. It was taken out to be uh, dealt with later and it was never looked at and it was never put back in. But it's not so much the reincarnation. We can get a lot more information if we look at the Bible quotes regarding sins of the body and sins of the soul. There's a there's a difference. And I'm not going to go into the religiosities because there are some people that have their faith. And I don't want to interrupt that. And I don't want to cause dispersions on anybody's. The fact that you believe, thank you. We'll see each other later. <laughs> you know, <laughs> uh, I think that's... And will we care? <laughs> yes. I hope we won't yes. even care. <laughs> yes. If you want to um, go back, fine, but I'm staying. <laughs> I'm just fine. Thank you very much. You know, um, uh, it's it's I we had a gentleman come to the door today. He was uh we had an appointment with him looking at insurance and he said, Well, and one of his expressions was, Are You ready for this? If you die, <laughs> if. <laughs> <What>? <laughs> if if you die, I thought, okay. <laughs> Then I won't need this insurance policy anymore. <laughs> <laughs> no, it, it's um, my life has changed. Um, I have attempted to change the sarcastic attitude I have when speaking to people. Um, sometimes my wife will be sitting beside me. She's okay. Do it quietly, and I'll say what I really felt like I should say and she'll give a little chuckle and she'll say okay you got that out of your system now <laughs> now I said before that you know um maybe I didn't I have I feel like I have known my wife for so long I mean we have been married for 36 years but our depth of our relationship goes much further. And I think that is one part of our souls that we do not, uh, our indwelling spirits, that if we're going to return and have the heavenly experience of the crowds of the families coming to meet you and greet you, um, I did not have a whole load of people there were only a few people that I knew that I recognized and they basically waved at me and said, not now, this is not your time. We'll see you later. Everything's good. Don't, you know, see you later. And they walked on. Um, but I, I think, and this is my next little bit of research, I think you know the same person over and over and over and over again. Your mother may be born through you as your daughter. Your daughter may have been your great aunt. Um, the woman you or the husband you are married to now, you may have known 
so much longer <clears throat> in, a, <clears throat> in a, a spiritual realm. Um, when my wife first saw me, I was sitting up in the in the 2 a.m. hospital coffee shop. All four of us, you know, occupied the whole. And she walked up and said, do you mind if I sit with you? And I said, welcome. How are you? You know, I'm, you know, introduced ourselves to each other. And I said, you know, it's, it's nice to see you. She said, are you, what shift are you working? I told her the night shift. She said, um, when do you have lunch? I said, about this time every day, every morning. Okay. And we built up a relationship with lunch dates and, you know, meeting at two o'clock in the morning or seeing each other in the hallway and hi, how are you? You know. And after... After I got married, there was two things that happened. I asked her, I said, one time, I said, why? Why did you come up and sit with me that first time? And she said, because I know who you are. Yeah, okay. You know. Uh, what do you mean you know who I, she said I knew when I saw you she said I knew I've been waiting for you and I knew who you were and I knew you were going to be we were going to be married and we'd be husband and wife okay you know uh, little sarcasm blah 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 and she said yes and that will stop too I said yeah it's the way I am you know her this is the way I am. And the other thing I said to her was, when I first started to get kind of serious with her, I said, please, whatever I do, do not let me get over on you. Do not let me hurt you in any way. Do not let me be rude or sarcastic towards you. And she said a very... A, a, a unique thing she said you never have and you never will and she just looked at me and she cocked her head onto one side of her I'm cocked I'm done <laughs> <laughs> so there, I, I think there's a very strong uh, prop, uh, probability that you you have a strong bond with your husband or wife or grandmother, grandfather, there is a good chance that you have been together on this, on this earth plane before. And there can be no accounting for the amount of times she's able to take care of something where I, I, I knew I had to do it. And I thought, well, I've got to talk to Kathy about it. I've got to, Kathy better. Oh, that's already taken care of. She already knows what I, what I want, what I want to do, how I want to do it. And I get the same feeling. I know now 
uh, she's probably waiting outside the school, waiting outside to pick up her nephews and nieces and bring them back here. So, you know, it's just. Yeah, my husband and I's favorite song together is Radar Love, because it's yeah. like you have that connection. Okay. <laughs> Hello, that's Joe. Looks like a news lady. That's a picture. That's the painting behind. No. <laughs> that's who's interviewing me. Looks like a. I look like a what? news lady. Is that what she said? Huh? She said, "Look like a news lady." Is that what she said? Yes. Yeah. Yo, Mo. <laughs> Hi. <laughs> I can see you. <laughs> there you are. <laughs> anyway, so this is my nieces. This is what brings joy to my life, meaning for my life. And we they keep us young, don't they? Huh? They keep us young, don't they? They keep me doing something. I'm not quite sure what. <laughs> <laughs> who, who is? Your wife. Oh. Is your wife needing you now? <laughs> you need to huh? go. Is your wife calling for you? <laughs> I'll tell you. And this, this here has been rolling out in the dust. Oh. Yes. What's the name? He, this is Pika. Uh, he adopted he adopted me, and he keeps bringing other cats into the house. And uh, I had a male lady who was very much obviously spiritual planes, and she said that that cat is your something or the other. And I thought, yeah, okay, no, okay, but this is it. <laughs> I now am the, I shouldn't say the proud owner, because I don't really own them. They own me. Uh, there are five cats now, or before I had two. I lost the two. They passed uh, after getting to a great, a great old age. My cat cattles like that too. And not all cats yeah. will cattle that way. No, no. They, um, it, it's and you hear you can feel the vibrations occurring. You know, it, it's it's amazing. Yeah. Um, when I'm when I'm not feeling well, they'll come up and literally plonk, literally lay out on my chest. Um, okay. Well, I'm going to let you enjoy your evening. And okay. Thank nice you. Nice meeting you. I hope you can do something with this mess. <laughs> oh, sure, I can. All right. Yeah. Well, um, I should have this ready by morning. I'll send it to you as soon as it's ready. Wow, really. Thank yes. you so much for your time. I've enjoyed the discussion. It's been an absolute pleasure to pass this on. I'm sorry about the weeping and the crying, but sometimes oh, there's emotions that you cannot control. That's fine. Uh, that's pretty. All right. Thank you. Thank you. Bye-bye. <laughs>